It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Cancel culture at Twitter and good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. It's called shadow banning, a stealth effort by social media to restrict one's visibility online. The question is, did Twitter restrict the visibility of conservatives online? New data reveals it did. And now many of those who were restricted are speaking out after being blacklisted by the company. Conservative radio talk show host Charlie Kirk says Twitter had a political agenda in suppressing free speech. It was almost as if it became a wholly operated company that changed their modus operandi from being somewhat of a social media platform to a Democrat super PAC. A new data dumped by Elon Musk shows Twitter snuffed out conservative viewpoints while under previous ownership. That revelation contradicts the testimony of Twitter founder Jack Dorsey, who under oath on Capitol Hill denied the charges. Censoring people? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. Is that true? No. Miranda Devine with the New York Post says Dorsey is guilty of perjury. It is really gratifying to catch those top people at Twitter in their lies because they did lie. Devine had her Twitter account frozen for disseminating information about Hunter Biden in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election. Florida Congressman-elect Corey Mills. This is about real action now, and we know they were censoring conservatives, they were interfering in our elections. God knows how many races were impacted as a result of shadow banning or not being able to get their message out as a result of this, this in itself could have actually made the change on some elections. The Twitter files released by Musk also show conservatives in the medical field were shadow banned for criticizing COVID lockdown. It feels like some novel from the 1950s where I'm, I'm some sort of like movie star in Hollywood that they're blacklisting because I'm a communist or something. It's ridiculous. Who told Twitter to put me on a blacklist? I really want to know. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya at Stanford University was silenced for his views on lockdowns, masks, and vaccines during the pandemic. Big doings on Capitol Hill today. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema is leaving the Democratic Party and is registered as an independent. She will not caucus with either party and vows to remain a swing vote. Here's reporter Scott McFarland. This underscores how fragile this majority remains. A walk along eggshells for the next two years for Democrats in the Senate. Any number of congressional sources with whom we're speaking today say they don't expect this to impact the Democrats' hold on the majority. They still will have the numbers. Still, says Charlie Hurt with the Washington Times, when you look more closely at those numbers. Republicans, once again, outnumber Democrats. It's 49 to 48. The only reason Democrats are in charge is because they have a socialist and two independents that caucus with them. Cinema says she's never fit neatly in any political box. She is the second high-profile politician to ditch the Democratic Party this year. Back in October, former Democratic presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard quit the Dems. American basketball player Brittany Griner arrived on U.S. soil today after being released by Russia in a controversial prisoner swap that involved a conviction 
convicted terrorist. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre says the choice was clear. Brittany or no one at all. Bringing home one American or no American at all. Secretary of State Tony Blinken. The choice before us was one or none. Griner's plane touched down early this morning at an army base in San Antonio. In exchange for her freedom, the Biden administration let go an international arms dealer. Left behind in Russia, retired U.S. Marine Paul Wieland, who spoke to CNN. I have to say I am greatly disappointed that more has not been done to secure my release. I don't understand why I'm still sitting here. My bags are packed. I'm ready to go home. Wieland's been in custody for four years in Russia. The U.S. Border Patrol says there were 73,000 gotaways during the month of November. The fear is those numbers will increase exponentially once Title 42 expires December 22nd. Texas Congressman Chip Roy says the border crisis may not be a big deal to the Biden administration, but... It sure is uh, something that's pretty critically important to the people of Texas and frankly to the immigrants that are getting abused and dying 53 in the tractor trailer in San Antonio, getting raped in stash houses in South Texas. Or how about the 72,000 people who died from fentanyl last year? The moms that I have to talk to every day who's lost a loved one because fentanyl's pouring into our border because he refuses to secure the southern border. Roy says drug cartels are facilitating much of the human trafficking that's going on at the southern border and are forcing migrants to transport illegal drugs like fentanyl. Still to come on the noon report for a Friday, hail to the chiefs in Marilla, New York, a local college student missing in France, and state ed recommends masks in school. Well, good afternoon to all. We've got a little snow in the weekend forecast, but there's also some sun in the mix as well. I'll have forecast details coming up. We'll see you in 10 minutes. See you then, Kevin Williams. Thank you very much. News where you live next. A judge today in Steuben County, New York, dropped all charges against Hornell Superintendent Jeremy Pilati. He was indicted over the summer on two misdemeanor counts for failing to report child abuse. District Attorney Brooks Baker has not yet said whether he will appeal today's decision. The New York Education Department is recommending masks in school as cases of flu, COVID, and RSV continue to rise. It's not an order. It's a suggestion. New York State's Health and Education Commissioners urge schools to bring back masks. They believe covering up could help reduce the transmission of multiple respiratory illnesses. Right now, hospitals are dealing with a triple whammy. During the pandemic, the words mask and mandate became controversial. Some people didn't want to be told what to do. School districts will now have to decide for themselves. Reporter Sean Adams, not so fast. Democrats claim the majority status in the Pennsylvania House, but that may be premature. There's a new twist in the ongoing power struggle in Harrisburg. The nonpartisan Pennsylvania Legislative Reference Bureau says neither Democrats nor Republicans can claim they're in control of the lower chamber. The House Democratic leader had herself sworn in as Speaker this week in a move Republicans claim was unconstitutional. There are still three House races that need to be decided in special elections. Brandon Dixon, Family Life News. Thank you very much, Brandon. A Lockport, New York mom is doing something about her grief. Debbie Sparks lost her son to a fentanyl overdose two years ago. Now she's trying to get a foundation started in his honor. It's to help families who are struggling with drug addiction. We want people to understand that it's everywhere. It doesn't choose. It doesn't discriminate. This problem is everywhere, and I don't want to see anybody else lose their child. I don't want... 
to see any family go through what my family has gone through. Opioid overdoses in New York have increased by nearly 70 percent since 2019. 19 people arrested yesterday following a massive drug bust in Jamestown, New York. Cops say the suspects were involved in an elaborate fentanyl and methamphetamine distribution ring. Police in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania, think a house fire that killed two Lehigh Valley firefighters may have been deliberately set. West Penn Township Police Chief Jim Bonner. Well, everybody that lives in the house is being investigated. He says the blaze began in the basement of the home and is suspicious in nature. Those who live nearby still can't believe it. I was devastated. I was devastated. That stuff's not supposed to happen in here. A third victim, the son of the homeowner, was found dead in some nearby woods. The parents of a missing St. John Fisher University student in western New York are trying to remain positive. I don't want anything for Christmas other than him to return, you know, safely. That is Ken DeLand Sr., whose 22-year-old son, Ken DeLand Jr., is missing in France. His dad tells Wham 13. We just shake our heads. We, we don't understand why he's not reaching out to us. And um, we're waiting. We're worried. We don't know where he is. Delan was last seen on surveillance video at a store in France December the 3rd. He was there as part of a study abroad program. St. John Fisher University is working with French police to try and locate the missing student. The town of Marilla in western New York defying a directive from the state education department on Native American nicknames for schools. Town supervisor Earl Genrich says Marilla High is home to the Chiefs, and he wants them to remain the Chiefs. And I don't even know for a fact that the majority of the people in the Seneca Nation are actually want us to change it. Is it just Albany speaking, or is it just this new culture that we're going to change things? And like, what about the Kansas City Chiefs? Or what about if you had a logo and name of a shamrock? Is that disenfranchising the, the Irish? The state plans to punish districts that do not drop Indian mascots by withholding state aid districts have until the end of the, of the year to drop the Native American nicknames. Governor Wolf says the Commonwealth will be getting $6.5 million to get the ball rolling on high-speed Internet service. The lack of affordable, accessible broadband is slowing our state's economic growth, and it's leaving just too many people behind. Pennsylvania tapped to receive about $95 million more from the federal government to make broadband upgrades a reality. What we want to end up with is is every Pennsylvanian have an access to the to the internet. And what we don't want is to spend all this money and then not having done that. Hiccups in internet reliability came to light during the COVID pandemic when many Pennsylvania students had trouble doing Zoom school from home. 14% of New York State residents live in Poverty In some cities like Rochester, Syracuse, and Buffalo, one in every four households live in poverty. Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie admits something has got to be done about the high cost of living in the Empire State. We have to figure out a, more, a longer, more sustainable way that New York is not becoming a, you know, an unaffordable place or more unaffordable place. A new Pew Research poll out today shows 25% of parents are 
are struggling to afford food and housing because of sky-high inflation. A family from Dutchess County, New York, looking to break its own Guinness World Record for the most residential Christmas lights. You should see this home. The Gay family first captured the record in 2012, reclaimed it in 2014, and has held it ever since. We don't intentionally beat our own record, but it happens every year. Every year we have new ideas for new lights, for new ornaments. Gracie Gay says more than a million people from all over the country have visited their drive through display there in LaGrangeville, New York. Hawaii and Oregon are the only two licensed places we have not seen through this driveway. More than 700,000 lights spanning some 40 miles in length surround the gay home. Tim Gay says the holiday tradition had humble beginnings. It started really small, just 300 lights on those two trees right there. That was the beginning in 1995. And of course, I had no idea it would ever grow into this. The Gay families received more than $600,000 in donations through the years, and all of it goes to charity. It's 12 past the hour. Let's pause next. Check out your midday sports right here on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the L.A. Rams scored two late touchdowns behind Baker Mayfield, and they rallied past the Raiders 17-16 last night in a Thursday night football matchup. Mayfield, who was just claimed off waivers after being released by Carolina, threw for 22 out of 35 completions, 230 yards, and the go-ahead score to Van Jefferson with 10 seconds left in the game. That That capped an amazing eight-play, 98-yard drive. The incredible finish snapped L.A.'s six-game losing streak. For Mayfield, not a bad way to say hi to your new teammates. Just three games were played in the NBA last night. The Heat beat the Clippers 115 to 110. San Antonio down Houston 118 to 109. And Denver edged Portland 121 to 120. On the ice in Toronto, a scoring explosion took place in the second period. The Maple Leafs scored three goals in one minute, six seconds. All of a sudden, a 0-0 game saw the Kings down three goals. Toronto added another one later in the period and went on to win this one 5-0. Tampa Bay, Florida, Winnipeg, and Dallas also skated to victory. Well, we need to talk a little more baseball and free agent signings. After losing some high-profile pitchers like Jacob deGrom and Taiwan Walker, the New York Mets are holding on to outfielder Brandon Nimmo. He signed an eight-year deal for $162 million, and the Mets also inked reliever David Robertson to a one-year contract. That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, have yourself a wonderful weekend and still to come on the Noon Report. It's Friday. That means the boys are back. The Capital Connection crew ready to chime in on the weighty issues in the news from Albany and Harrisburg. Kevin Williams has got your weekend weather. And at the end of the broadcast, a lesson on love. Celebrating a marriage that lasted nearly 80 years. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look in an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. The Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street.
This week marks the anniversary of the birth of a man that's regarded as the father of modern fantasy literature, someone who profoundly influenced writers like G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis. Though the writing of pastor and author George MacDonald often lacked, shall we say, theological precision, his legacy includes inspiring some of the most important Christian fiction of all time. Like Tertullian and Origin before him, fathers of the faith whose theology veered away at times from orthodoxy, the bulk of MacDonald's work has served to enliven the Christian faith of future generations. His first book, Fantasties, a fairy romance for men and women, was published in 1858. The series of fantasy stories, fairy tales, novels, nonfiction, and poetry that followed made him an important literary figure of his day and influenced dozens of writers on both sides of the Atlantic, including Lewis Carroll, whom he mentored and encouraged to publish Alice in Wonderland, Mark Twain, Oswald Chambers, G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, and J.R.R. Tolkien. In fact, Wikipedia lists 39 major authors for whom McDonald was a major literary influence. His very first book, Fantasties, was critically important for C.S. Lewis. In fact, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, Lewis said that as he read the book, quote, I saw the bright shadow coming out of the book into the real world and resting there, transforming all common things and yet itself unchanged. More accurately, I saw the common things drawn into the bright shadow and the then invincible ignorance of my intellect. All this was given me without asking, even without consent. That night, my imagination was, in a certain sense, baptized. The rest of me, not unnaturally, took longer. I had not the faintest notion what I had let myself in for by buying Fantasties. In a similar way, G.K. Chesterton commented that MacDonald's story, The Princess and the Goblin, quote, made a difference to my whole existence. Of all the stories I have read, including all the novels of the same novelist, it remains the most real, the most realistic, in the exact sense of the phrase, the most like life. The Princess and the Goblin is the story of a princess living in a castle besieged by goblins. Why would Chesterton call that realistic or the most like life? The answer lies in the particular genius at the heart of all of MacDonald's novels, whether fantasy or not. MacDonald, as Chesterton explained, believed that people really are princesses and goblins and good fairies, that in his non-fantasy novels, he portrayed as ordinary men and women. In other words, the truth of this world can often be found in fairy stories. This world, MacDonald believed, is only a disguise for the real story hidden beneath it. Thus, the fairy story is fundamentally more real and contains more truth than realistic stories that only offer surface meetings while missing the deeper truths. And none other than Oswald Chambers, author of the famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, commented that, quote, it's a striking indication of the trend and shallowness of the modern reading public that George MacDonald's books have been so neglected, end quote. Well, the good news is you and I don't need to make the same mistake. MacDonald's theology was off on certain points, such as particular version of universalism, but the tribute to his books by Christian leaders is a testimony of their value, a value in helping us see the deeper realities behind the commonplace events of our lives. So why not take some time over the Christmas holiday and read some of his books? Like Lewis, you may find that your imagination is baptized. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. For more resources to help you live like a Christian in this cultural moment, please go to colsoncenter.org. It is 19 past the hour. Let's take it outside. Kevin Williams. Good afternoon. Here is your family life weather forecast. The call for this afternoon. Intervals of clouds and sunshine. High temps, 30s and low 40s. Tonight, some moonlight and cold, low in the 20s. Tomorrow, some sunshine. The clouds will start to gather. High temps, 30s and low 40s. Sunday is cloudy with snow and rain. And again, light accumulations for some. High temperatures Sunday, 30s and lower 40s. 
All right, knew that snow would get here eventually. Thank you, Kevin. It is Friday, folks, the ninth day of December, and you're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you, the listener, direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Gentlemen, strap in. We've got a lot of places to go over the next 10 minutes. Jason, I want to start with you. It was pitched this week in Albany that New York State provide slave reparations. I know this is a conversation they've had before, but will this be a legislative priority in 2023? Well, I think it will be a priority. There are legislators that are uh, introducing legislation that would require a study on reparations. And what's been suggested is that there would be a little over $200,000 given to every African-American individual here in New York. That actually was scoffed at by the uh, advocates for the legislation, saying it was not nearly enough. So it's going to be an interesting issue to watch in years to come as the progressive movement grows in Albany. Michael, uh, the fight for control of the PA House took a dramatic turn this week when Philadelphia Democrat Joanna McClinton, for whatever reason, had herself sworn in as the majority leader. Republicans were like, hold on a minute here. Who rules the roost in the House? Uh, And is it uh, being an election denier to say maybe we should hold on a minute? Uh, The jury seems to be still out on that one. We knew this was going to be a season full of conflict because of the razor-thin majority that the Democrats had, and now they don't really have a majority because two House members were elected to other seats, which left the Republicans in the majority. Yet Joanna McClinton, the Democrat leader, was secretly sworn in by a Delaware County judge and then announced special elections for the replacement of those lawmakers uh, in the House of Representatives. So it is a major conflict going on right now. Speaker Cutler called this a paperwork insurrection. So it's going to be a very contentious season. Uh, Dr. John King, Jason, is a name that is well known in New York and for not entirely good reasons. I mean, he he was the guy that uh, handled this whole bungled rollout of Common Core. They kind of ran him out of Dodge. He went and joined the Obama administration. Now he's back as SUNY Chancellor. Your thoughts? Well, color me less than impressed. Uh, you know, like a bad penny, Dr. John King comes bouncing back to New York. <laughs> uh, he had left here. He had served as the uh, Education Secretary under President Obama. Then he went off to work on racial equity and education issues. And now with a tune of $750,000 a year, the taxpayers will be paying for this new SUNY Chancellor. Uh, it just really shows how the system tends to protect its own. And uh, once you're in the system, you're never really out of it. Uh, they'll find a safe place for you to land somewhere. Michael, the head of the Pennsylvania Republican Party said this week, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but when it comes to this whole idea of mail-in ballots, says if 
if you can't beat them, join them. And that Republicans have got to learn to do this as effectively as Democrats. What do you think Republicans need to do to make inroads when it comes to early voting? Well, I've never been a fan of early voting, but it is what it is now here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And we've seen in places like Georgia and in Florida, just because there's early voting or mail-in voting doesn't mean it's automatic that Democrats will win. Bribery and fraud charges tossed this week against former Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin. This was the guy that Kathy Hochul named as her second-in-command when she took over for Andrew Cuomo. How come these charges were dropped, Jason? Well, you know, I'm not in that courtroom. It's not exactly easy to say why it was determined they were dropped, but I think it can give us confidence in the judicial system. The judge saw that these charges should not be filed against Mr. Benjamin. He did allow a few of the charges to stand for falsifying business records, but the bribery charges, they felt the evidence was not there. Um, But there are still some open charges out there for Mr. Brian Benjamin. Real quick follow-up when it comes to Trump, Inc. and the illegal problems therein. Does the case this week against him embolden Attorney General Tish James in her pursuit of the former president? Well, I don't think she needed any more emboldening than she's already had. She has fiercely been digging into the former president and any way she can get as she sees, I think, some political wins for her in this state uh, every time she can attack Mr. Trump. Apparently, Michael, it pays to be a financial backer of Josh Shapiro, the governor-elect. He has rewarded several high-end donors with government positions. Is this business as you in Harrisburg, and if so, does it need to change? Yeah, that's what the political watchers are kind of saying. It does feel like business as usual. I mean, Josh Shapiro raised $65 million for his gubernatorial campaign, which meant a lot of money coming from a lot of different people and some very big boosters. In his transition team, he's named quite a number of his largest financial supporters, also some of his uh, longtime aides from even at the time that he was a county commissioner Montgomery County as top positions in his administration. Well, one of the reasons both you guys exist is to preserve religious freedom, one of the bedrocks of our democracy. Uh, This is being put to the test big time in Colorado. The case of the Christian website designer Lori Smith. Jason, what's at stake here? And even though this is a case out of Colorado, why should our listeners in New York be paying attention? Well, listeners here should be paying attention because it affects us as well. Nationally, as we look to move in this issue of marriage, it's going to complicate religious liberty issues for a lot of Christians. And so if you are the cake baker, if you are the wedding site designer, photographer, whatever it might be, Christian adoption agency or faith-based service of some kind, maybe even help with the homeless in the street, but you receive some government dollars, that could become an issue for you. And so many of these cases are looking at the question as to where does religious liberty end? Do I as an individual have a right to say I do not want to promote same-sex marriage in my line of work? And that's uh, the question uh, that, that this court will be dealing with the days to come. Michael, I know you're following this case real closely as well. The high court has already ruled on a similar case in the same state here. Five years ago, the Christian cake baker, Jack Phillips, won his case. Why are they taking this up again? Well, the Jack Phillips case was ruled on kind of narrow grounds, basically saying that the state of Colorado and the government of Colorado had expressed animus against him personally and uh, based on his religious beliefs, and that was the ruling. So what Colorado has done in these other situations like 303 uh, Creative, they kind of nicely go after them and still prosecute on these same grounds. And so that's why this is going before them, because uh, there are very significant issues at stake, uh, even if there's not so-called animus uh, involved. 
involved in the case. Well, hey, we've been talking about this so-called Respect for Marriage Act. Both of you have called it the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Uh, it finally passed the House this week, though later than what we thought the vote would happen. Uh, Jason, I'm wondering how this, which will be law, the president's is going to sign it, how this complicates what you do at New Yorkers. Yeah, you know, I think that it's going to complicate things, as we talked about recently with, you know, the, the, the case out of Colorado, is that so many of these religious liberty questions are going to arise. And the issue will be decided not just by this case, but by court cases to come. Uh, it's going to be highly problematic for those of us involved in uh, faith-based organizations that are not churches, that are not pastors, but we're involved in faith-based work. And where does the line for our individual religious liberty end? That's the question that's going to come complicates so many matters for organizations like Michael's and mine and, and those adoption agencies and others. What is individual religious liberty and, and where will that line be in America moving forward? I know your guy, Randall Wenger, is going to be very busy in the uh, weeks, months, and years to come, Michael. We said yeah. this last week, whether you're a Christian butcher or baker or candlestick maker, get ready. Lawsuits are coming. How will this uh, upend what you do and complicate the work you do at preserving uh, the biblical definition of marriage? at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Well, the issue is that uh, many people, many ministries, many uh, Christian leaders or, or even just uh, Christian business owners and whatever may find themselves being hauled into court in these lawsuits that are a result of this. And here in Pennsylvania, even this week, the Independent Regulatory Re Review Commission, uh, one of our attorneys, uh, Janice Martino-Gottschall, is going to be testifying before that uh, commission on a similar issue here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania with regulations promulgated by the Wolf Administration that, again, opens up these avenues for lawsuits against those ministries or Christians who take a stand for marriage between one man and one woman. Well, I tell you, just a few years ago, that stance was mainstream, and now it seems to be increasingly on the fringes, and that should put the fear of God in everybody. Uh, but we thank you both for standing up for biblical principles in the public square. That's why you exist. If you have questions about what New Yorkers for constitutional freedoms is, Jason, where can folks find you? AlbanyUpdate.com. And the Pennsylvania Family Institute doing great work in Harrisburg. What's your website, Michael? PAFamily.org. They get it done. The Capital Connection crew comes your way every Friday during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. A chilly weekend is ahead. High pressure will deliver a fair amount of sunshine to much of the area to start the weekend. But low pressure will deliver snow and some rain to end the weekend. Doesn't look like a big storm, but we could see a few inches accumulating Sunday and Sunday night over the higher elevations of central New York and northeastern Pennsylvania. The call for this afternoon, intervals of clouds and sunshine, high temps, 30s and low 40s. Tonight, some moonlight and cold, low in the 20s. Tomorrow, some sunshine, then clouds will start to gather. High temps, 30s and low 40s. Sunday is cloudy with snow and rain. And again, light accumulations for some. High temperatures Sunday, 30s and lower 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. And finally at noon, an Ohio couple married for 79 years recently died within hours of each other. Hubert Malagot, a World War II vet, says he and his wife June avoided fights by taking walks whenever emotions ran high. Come back with it different attitude, make amends, check your decisions, are you right or wrong, and uh, 
Be loving and kind. Shortly before his death, Malakut was asked by News Nation how to explain what love is. It happens so quickly, so easily, so on daily routines. <laughs> you just wake up one day and that's what it is. That's what it is. Malakut and his wife met at church in 1941. Both of them were 100 at the time of their death. They just knew how. To, how to make it all work. That's their daughter, Joan. She says not once in her life did she ever see her parents fight. We've never heard a harsh word between our parents. If they ever argued, they did it out of earshot. We, we didn't know about it. She says the key to her parents' marriage longevity was that they actually enjoyed each other's company. They enjoyed being around each other. That's key. Hubert and June Malico passed away, one on November 30th, the other on December 1st, after 79 years of marriage. That is love. And that's all the time we have today, Friday the 9th of December. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here Monday. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.